Well, good morning. Oh, you guys are the late crowd. You can surely do better than that. Good morning. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you for being here this morning. My name is Brent, and I have the privilege of serving as um, a community life pastor here at PBCC, and it's just a privilege for me to be able to be here. Um, as I get started, I just do want to make you aware of one thing. Um, here's a $20 bill if anybody wants it. It's right here on the music stand, so um, just come get it. Um, but as I move forward, I, want to, um, I just want to um, <clears throat> be able to share with you a story as I get started this morning. And so part of the story goes... Um, that, that I'm sure all of you can relate to and all of you can um, um, at some point understand. You know, when you're trying to impress someone or when you're trying to swoon someone or you're trying to actually get them to, like, even go out with you. So, thanks, Warren. Um, <clears throat> so, you guys are laughing. I just, I mean, he was the only one that responded, so you lost out. I would be laughing at yourself, not at Warren, so whatever. Um, it warm. We didn't talk about this before, did we? Okay, see, there you go. Um, and you have to trust him because he would never lie. So, um, but, you know, when you're trying to date someone, you're trying to impress them, you're trying to get them to, you know, close their eyes and go out with you, um, you, you do things that you normally wouldn't do. And uh, for me, there were a lot of different things I did to con Amy into going out with me into dating. And then I don't know how, I, I don't know how she married me. But anyway, um, but one of the things was um, that, that I took her to Islands of Adventure at Universal Studios. And I don't know if you've ever been to Islands of Adventure, um, but you know, when you go into Islands of Adventure, you make your immediate left. The first ride you come to is the Hulk. Some of you know. And um, there's a picture up there of the Hulk. Um, here's the thing. That tunnel there on the left is where you get shot out um, at about 622 miles an hour. And then you go through all those loop-to-loops in about two seconds. Um, and then you like, take 10 minutes for your body parts and organs to all realign. Um, but I have to confess that when we went there, I was, I was pretty apprehensive because I must admit, I hate roller coasters. I absolutely hate them. Um, I'm afraid of them. Um, I, I don't like the way that they, the, the speed at which they travel. I, I don't, I, but here's the thing is I was trying to win Amy over and she loves roller coasters. It'd be a pretty bad date if she were to ride all the rides by herself and I was just going to wait at the end. Um, you know, because you, like for the Hulk, you wait in line six hours for 30 seconds, and so that would have been kind of a, a bad day. So I decided I would get on the ride, I'd go through the line, and the whole way, you know, I'm just white-knuckled. I'm like, I don't want to do this, this is awful, and I just, it's just, uh, and just the thought of it. And so I'm going through, and, you know, there's one last chance, and even when you're there on the platform, you know, you can walk all the way through and just go out the exit on the other side and leave. But I was like, no, I'm going to sit down and strap me in. I don't know how many times I asked, are you sure I'm not going to fall out? Are you sure I'm not going to die? Are you sure I'm... Well, then it launches you, and you go on this ride. And, and when, when you get to the end of the ride, at least when I got to the end of the ride, I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm just like, ooh. And Amy says, how are you doing? And, you know, I'm going to be the dude, right? And I'm like, I'm fine. Why? And then she said, well, what did you think? And I was like, that was awesome. It was amazing. I absolutely loved it. And I wasn't lying. I had fallen in love with riding roller coasters. It was amazing that that, that, that roller coaster, the Hulk, was the roller coaster that would just launch me to loving riding roller coasters. Now, I don't do wood roller coasters. I don't like the lap bar. I'm a big guy. The G-forces, I'm ejected. It's not going to be good. But if it goes over my shoulders, I'm there. You can put me upside down. You can do corkscrews. You can go backwards. You can go up. You can go down. Whatever. I love it. But I hated it until that first one that I wrote. 
I wanted no part of it because I was afraid. I didn't know what would happen. What was it going to look like? How was I going to feel? But then I got over it, and I jumped in. I rode the ride, and when I was done, it was an amazing experience. Now, the ironic thing is, is that I love to ride roller coasters, and for some, I don't know, some biological thing, since Amy has had the kids, every time she rides a roller coaster, she gets really, really sick. So she doesn't ride rides anymore, and now I do. Of course, most of our rides are like, it's a small world, so that's a different thing. But, <laughs> but I love roller coasters, and, and, and I think back, if I had not done that, if I had not just jumped on and said, I'm going to go all in right now, what would have been different? I think a lot of us probably in our lives, whether it be in our career, in a relationship, um, or anything, whether it's in school. At some point, there's going to be something that we're afraid of, something that's unknown, something that we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. And we have a lot of questions and and a lot of concerns. And and as a result, we hold back and we don't do it. Or we may stick our toe in the water just a little bit to see, it's not for me. And we back off. How many great experiences How many life opportunities, how many unbelievably life-changing things have we missed because we've chosen just to not jump in? We've chosen to live in our little bubble and be safe instead of stepping out and doing something outside of ourselves, and as a result, we miss out. I'd venture to say that we all probably fall in that category in one way or another. And I think when we come to a spiritual sense, we kind of do the same thing. Sometimes there are things out there that exist that we just need to jump in and go for, and we just miss it. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about just jump in. And that's going to be the title of the message as we continue our series as we talk about serve, living beyond yourself, living beyond myself. Last week, we saw the example of Jesus in John chapter 13, how we saw the Son of God, God himself, walking along the earth, choosing to get down on his hands and knees and washing the dirty, nasty feet of his disciples. I mean, these guys were just, they they were lower than Jesus. They were not nearly as significant as the Son of God, and yet Jesus was the one who chose to wash their feet. And what did he say? He said, I do this as an example for you to follow. Jesus tells us that if we're going to follow him and follow his example, that we need to learn and wash the feet of others. Now, that probably gives some of you a little bit of an upset stomach, but when he says serve others, wash their feet, he's talking about a bigger general sense of serving other people. And so our responsibility, and you might even agree, yes, when we look at the example of Jesus, we need to serve, but we still don't do it like he would have us to do it. Why is that? What's the case? If we know that we're supposed to do it and we still don't do it, what keeps us from serving like he would want us to serve. And this morning, I'm going to propose three different things. And we'll, put, we'll touch on these quickly, and I'm sure there are others. But one of the reasons we don't serve, and one of the reasons that keeps us from jumping in and serving is our pride. Our pride. For whatever reason, we may think we're better than somebody else. Maybe it's the title on our business card, or maybe it's the, the writing that's on our door. Maybe it's the position in our home, or maybe it's you know, where we line up relationally with others. We think that we are better than someone else, and so we say, I'm too good for that. Let's be honest. That's not my job. It's not my job to serve you. It's your job to serve me. So pride keeps us from actually rolling up our sleeves and jumping in and doing something. Another reason could be fear. We're afraid. You see, serving others and putting others ahead of ourselves is counterculture. 
Let me give you an example. This past week, I had the opportunity to attend a conference, um, a leadership conference in, in West Palm Beach at the Palm Beach County Convention Center. And it was the whole theme of the conference was about servant leadership. Uh, power of stuff, great speakers, world-renowned speakers. And this is what happened on Wednesday night. As the conference is leading at 5 o'clock in the uh, leaving, um, at 5 o'clock in the evening, I'm pulling out of the parking lot. And it was unbelievable. These brilliant leaders and, and businessmen who had, and women who had just sat through eight hours of hearing people talk about serving others, serving others, serving others. I have not seen that many people get cut off in their car. I've not seen that many fists shaken. I've not seen that many people yell trying to get out of a parking lot since about the ninth inning of a Marlins game when they were getting bombed. The Marlins were losing also. Some of you will get that. But the, the reality is, is they had just listened all about servant leadership. And as soon as they got in their car and left, the first opportunity they had to apply it, they didn't serve anybody but themselves. And everybody else should serve them too. You see, we don't do it because we're afraid of what people are going to think. And fear keeps us from serving others because it goes against what culture would say. Another reason why we probably don't serve or some of us may not serve is because just of a lack of confidence. Just a lack of confidence. Look, I don't have anything to offer. Who am I? I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a nobody. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. I don't have any abilities. There's nothing that I can do to serve you. I mean, I wish I could. I even have a great heart. Trust me, I do. I would love to serve you, but I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, when we look at those three things, let's think through. The first one, think about pride. If God himself is able to wash feet of others, surely, surely, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm at least this much lower than he is, right? At least. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I know you, and it's more, you know, there's not enough room in this building to measure that. But the point is this, is that if God's willing to do it, who am I to say that I can't serve someone else? The second thing, when it comes to fear, look, if you're worried about what the world thinks, you'll never do anything. You'll be paralyzed because you'll never ask someone to go on a joint venture with you. You'll never ask someone to help you. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. Why? Because you'll be afraid of rejection. You'll be afraid of this. You'll be afraid of that. You'll be afraid of what the world thinks. You will never, ever do anything. You'll get to a point where you'll be so afraid of everybody and everything, you'll never leave your home. And then you'll get to a place where you're afraid of being at home by yourself. And then you won't know what to do at all. Fear will paralyze you if you're always afraid of what's going to happen. And the final thing, a lack of confidence. This one's probably understandable. You know, there's a lack of self-awareness. You're really not sure. What do I have? Do I have anything? What can I do with what I have? Well, we're going to look at some of these things, and especially that last one, when we think about what do I have to offer and how can I use it to serve others and to live beyond myself. You see, the Apostle Paul gave us a prescription. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells us what we can do in order to... Oh, thank you. Thank you, Andy. Oh, that's so nice. Andy's a good guy, let me tell you. Wow. What is it? Anybody know what it is? Who got it for me? Warren, did you go spend that money and buy me a gift? No, you didn't. Okay. Huh. Interesting. All right. How many of you just dying to know what's in there? You guys just want you to open it up and rip it open? There we go. It's going to drive you nuts, isn't it? You're going to be looking at it the whole time. You see, 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 a little bit about what we can do to serve others. If you have an electronic device or a Bible or something, I want you to turn to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you start in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, then you have Acts, then you have Romans, and then you get to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be in the 12th chapter as we look at this. Now, the church at Corinth was a church that Paul had started, and what you have here in 1 Corinthians is Paul writing a letter back to these guys and saying, look, here are a few things that I think you can work on. I've gotten some feedback, and, and we've done some SWOT analysis, and we've looked at these things, and here, here are some instructions for you guys to improve on what you're doing. And when he gets to the 12th chapter, he gets to a thing called spiritual gifts. And notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Skip down to verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Skip down to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You see, Paul uses the word spiritual gifts as he writes this letter. Now, what do you think of when you think of gifts? Think about this gift. Andy brought it out here, and most of you were probably initially thinking, oh, is it his birthday? Thanks for all the well wishes. I appreciate it. No, it's not my birthday. Some of you are thinking, well, who wrapped that? Because they did an amazingly fantastic job. I did, thank you. Some of you are going, I wish he would open it because I want to know what's in there. What is in there? You see, here's the thing about gifts as we get started in our discussion this morning. is that gifts come in different sizes. And they come in different shapes. Sometimes they come in different wrapping paper. And the wrapping paper is probably appropriate for the occasion. Some things, um, some wise person knew that men don't wrap gifts and he created the gift bag. And I love that person. I wish I had thought of that. Um, but there's different ways in which to wrap a gift. But the gift doesn't do anybody any good as long as it stays like this. The gift doesn't help anybody as long as it's wrapped up like this. Opening gifts has taken on a whole new meaning in our home with our girls. Um, Grace will be three this month, and Sadie just turned one. And it's funny to watch them because, you know, they have different personalities, and they'll just pull back a corner and just pull one little strip that's about that long. And you're thinking, we're going to be here till next Christmas for you to open all your gifts. But they take it real slow, and then the other one just rips it open and rips the box open, takes whatever's in there, puts it off to the side, and then plays with the box for the next three hours. And so different people have different things. But think about when you open a gift and you're at a party or whatever. When you open the gift, you take it out, everybody's what? They want to what? They want to see what you got. So then you have to hold it up, and you have to show your gift to everybody else. And for whatever it's worth, if you ever get this reaction from someone who opens a gift that you've given them, and they go, great, wow, I've never seen anything like that before, and they don't pull it out of the box, that's going back. I hope you got a gift receipt. But the first thing that happens when someone gets a gift is you want them to open it. In fact, someone will say, should I open this now or should I wait? And you're going to say, oh, whenever. But in your mind, you're thinking, you need to open it right now because I want to see. I want to see your reaction. I want to see your face. And when you're around another group of people, they want you to pull it out and show them. But here's the thing. Is this gift that Andy presented to me in this box that's so neatly wrapped, 
If I don't ever open it, it doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't do me any good. It doesn't do you any good. It just sits there. It's a fancy box. So this morning when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're talking about what it means to have a gift that's been given to you. Let's look back and see what Paul says. In verse 1, notice what Paul says about spiritual gifts. The first thing today is this. We need to be informed. We need to be informed. Paul says there are these things called spiritual gifts. And unfortunately, you guys, the church at Corinth, have been been living your life in such a way that you've missed the mark. You've missed your understanding of it. So what I want to do is I want to help you know a little bit more about spiritual gifts. So he's telling them they need to be informed. And then from there, when he gets to verse 4, he says, the first thing I want you to know is this. There are a variety of gifts. There are different gifts. The Greek word is the word charisma, which basically means, means a supernatural talent. Each and every one of you have been given a supernatural talent. Now, I'm not talking about a superhero talent. I'm not talking about x-ray vision. I'm not talking about the ability to fly. I'm talking about a supernatural talent. There are things that you do that are independent of the home you grew up in and the schooling you got that you're just good at. You just do it. You do it well, and everybody comes to you because you know how to do it. And you could sit back and say, well, I don't know that I really, I, I, don't, I, just, I just can. I don't know. That's a supernatural gift. It's an ability that you've been given. When we talk about spiritual gifts, we're talking about abilities. And Paul says that there are different abilities. Your abilities are different than my abilities. My abilities are different than their abilities. We all have different abilities. Paul goes on to say this. Not only are there different gifts, but there are different kinds of services. In verse 5, and he uses the word for office or role. Basically, he's saying there are different positions, different roles that we play as we use our gifts. Not everybody is going to be position X. Somebody may be in position Y. Somebody else may be in position Z. But there are different positions, different roles that you can fill using the gifts. Not everybody's expected to be a pastor. Not everybody's expected to work in Discovery Land. Well, yeah, maybe everybody's expected to work in Discovery Land, but anyway... Not everybody's expected to work in Discovery Land. Not everybody's expected to to work with middle school students. Not everybody's expected to, to serve the homeless. Not everybody's expected to go on a medical mission. Not everybody's expected to do those things. There are different roles for different people. That's what Paul says. There's different gifts. There's different roles. And then he goes on to say this in verse 6. There are different activities. There are different activities. These are the things we do. Even in the context of, you know, take a ministry like our student ministries. You may be someone who's there to greet students and just to love on them come in. You may be there to lead a small group where you go a little bit more in depth. Those are in the same ministry with the same passion of working with students and the same ability to connect, but they're different things to do even in that context. So there are different things for us to do. You're gifted. You have an ability. You have a role that you're supposed to play. And then finally, it says there are different activities as you look at that. I read this this morning in my devotions. It said you were created on purpose for a purpose. God wired you for a specific reason to accomplish a specific person. And God gives us each a different ability to make it happen, puts us each in a different role, and puts us each doing different 
things. Not everybody is expected to do the same thing. But Paul tells us this in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, but we each have them. We may not have all of the gifts. We may not have more than one gift. But for those who have crossed the line of faith and claimed Jesus as Lord, for those who have trusted him with their salvation, every single person has at least one spiritual gift. So you can't sit there today and say, well, I don't have anything to offer. Yes, you do. You may not be aware of it yet, and you may not know what it looks like and how to use it, but you have a spiritual gift. Paul says each one has a gift. We all got something. We all have something that God has given us to use. But Paul tells us, and it's not just for you, because in verse 7 he also says, we each have them, and we have them for this purpose, for the common good. You see, God did not give you a gift and an ability for yourself. He did not say, I like you so much that I'm going to give you this gift for you to use. What God says is, I love the world so much, I'm going to give you a gift so that you can be a blessing to the world. Because you know what? He gave somebody else a different gift to be a blessing to you. God gives us our gifts for the common good. It's not for ourselves. You may have a supernatural ability to do something in your career, but he didn't give you that so you can climb up the ladder. He didn't give you that ability so you can make a bunch of money. He didn't give you that ability so that you can put a, put a name on your door. He gave you that talent. He gave you that ability for the common good of others. That's what living beyond yourself is all about. It's not about you. It's about God's plan working through you for the benefit of others. And Paul says, that's why you're gifted. That's why you have talents. It's for the common good. So understand that you have a set of gifts and you have a role and you have certain abilities. He goes on to say that we each have our gifting. Notice what else he says in verse 11. He says, each one apportioned as he wills. This means you are unique, just like everybody else. Yeah, some of you get that, right? You are unique. There is no other you. Even if you're an identical twin and your wife can't tell you apart from your brother, you are unique. Even if you grew up in the home with your brothers and sisters and you have the same environment, you have the same values, you are unique. There is only one of you. Now you've heard the phrase doppelganger. You know, it's a German phrase, talks about there's an identical one of you, someone that looks like you somewhere in the world. Some people say, I look like a guy who works on the prices right. There's different things that different people say. <laughs> but there's only one of you. There's only one person that's been given your gifts. There's only one person that can fill your role. There's only one person that can do the things that you can do. Nobody else can. So if you're not doing it, then who is? Or is it just not being done? You are unique. Not only are you unique, but in the verses following, verses 12 through 31, here in chapter 12, Paul talks about the fact that you are needed. 
And he goes in this long illustration talking about the body and how there's different body parts and different functions and different parts of the body do different things. And he goes through and says, the eye is not more important than the ear and the nose isn't any more important than the toe and the toe is not more important than the appendix and the appendix is no more important than, than the, than the, the um, I don't even know. He didn't even use appendix. I'm just making up stuff as I go. The point is this. You're no more important than anyone else. No one else is more important than you and you're all needed. He goes on to talk about the body. When one part of the body isn't functioning at full strength, the rest of the body is weak. A few years ago, um, I, I, I fell. I was playing softball, and I blew out my knee. And when I blew out my knee, I also broke my wrist. And so I had surgery on both at the same time. Um, the great news is it only happened five weeks before my second was born. So that was, my wife loved me for that. But all I was missing really was my leg and my wrist. But I was an invalid for six weeks. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything by myself, okay? I needed my wife, nine months pregnant, to help me to do everything. We were not at full strength simply because my knee went out. One body part, the patella tendon, blew up. And I was incapacitated, the rest. Us as a church and us as the body of Christ, when one part isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing, the rest of us suffer. We cannot be at our full capacity if you're not pulling your weight. If you're not doing what God designed you to do, then the rest of us aren't able to do what we're designed to do. That's why Paul says the body is complete and needs to be complete. You are unique, but you are also needed. So as we kind of come to an application point here this morning, there's three questions I want you to ask. Three, question, three questions I want you to ask. The first question is this, what are you good at? What are you good at? And if any of you love grammar, you know that's a terrible question, right? The, the appropriate question should be, what do you do well? You shouldn't end in a preposition at, and it's really not good, it's well. Yeah, okay. Nobody ever talks like that, so I just use what people talk. What are you good at? When you think about this, you say, I do this good, I do this good, I do this good. What, what skills do you have? I do this good, I do this good. I do... Those things that you do good, those things that you do well, the things that you excel at, maybe you don't even have to work at it, you just do it. What are you good at? When you answer that question and you start thinking through those things, that'll start you down a path of seeing how God wired you and how he created you. You may have a job where you have nothing to do with numbers, but in your job, anytime anybody needs any kind of number work, they come to you because you're just naturally good at it. Now, does that mean that God gave you the spiritual gift of numerology? I don't think that's a spiritual gift, but it, no, but it shows that there's a talent, there's an ability there that God has given you. It's not driven by external circumstances, but it's what God has poured into you. So what are you good at? The second thing is, is what do you like to do? What do you like to do? We have a tendency to be pulling in the direction of the things that we enjoy, and we like spending our time there, and we like doing those things. So what is it that you like to do? Start moving that direction. Think about, well, I like doing this or I like that. Now, just because you like it doesn't mean you're any good at it. You may say, I love to preach. Okay, come on up. You may not be any good at it. I'm not any good at it, but Dr. Ray doesn't know any better, so he keeps letting me do this. <laughs> the point is this, is just because you like it doesn't mean you're good at it. Or just because you're good at it doesn't mean you like it. What I want to tell you this is find out what you're good at, what you like, and where is there overlap between those two? Because where those two overlap and where those two come together, that is your wheelhouse. 
That is your sweet spot. When you're able to take the things that you like to do and the things that you really excel and you put them together, man, there's an extreme amount of fulfillment in working in that place, in being in that spot. And so what I want you to do is think through those things. And the third question is this, what's keeping me from doing it? Why aren't you doing it? What's holding you back? Well, I don't have any time. I'm too busy. I don't have the resources. One of the speakers this past week, and I'm paraphrasing from him, he basically said this, we make time for the things we want to make time for. Think about that. Oh, I'm too busy. I got to force him over at PGA National. Yeah, I think my calendar just cleared up. I'm too busy. Oh, well, uh, I can't do it. Sorry, you know. Oh, well, I've got tickets to the Heat. They're playing the OKC. Do you want to go? Oh, yeah, I can do that. We find time for the things we want to do. What's keeping you from doing what you want to do and what you're good at? So as you think through those three questions, there's one response I want you to come up with. Do something. Do something. It's not that complicated. Just go do something. You don't have to fill out an application. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go through a screening process. Do something. And as you do something, you'll find that it begins to migrate into other things. Just start doing something to live beyond yourself and serve others. I want to give you some tools this morning, or at least one specific tool. When you start thinking about your spiritual giftedness, and when you start thinking about what gifts, abilities, and what talents do you have, and, and what are you called to do, spiritual gifts. We just saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are some gifts listed there. Romans chapter 12, also written by Paul. Ephesians chapter 4, written by Paul. There are some other gifts that are listed. 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about um, other gifts. So you can go through and you can read those passages of Scripture and you can look and see and kind of say, yeah, I have that and I have this and I have that and kind of find out how you're wired. But I also want to turn your attention to a website called Kazone. It's not Chazone. It's not Calzone. It's Kazone. And basically what it is, it's a Hebrew word for purpose. Everybody ends up somewhere. You have the opportunity to end up there on purpose. And what this will do at this website, it will take you through a spiritual gifts inventory and ask you a series of questions. And what you do is you kind of come up with some top things that you might be gifted to do. And then it will go through your past experiences and the things you enjoy doing and the things you like doing. And then it takes those things and brings them together and lines them up. And then it begins to overlap. And you can see where your purpose is and what you were created to do. And I would encourage you to go through there and to take some time to really digest that and look at it. Get some feedback and begin to do something. But not only do I want to share with you some tools this morning, I also want to give you some opportunities. We're telling you to do something. We're telling you to just jump in. We're telling you to, to get engaged in serving. Well, how do you do that? The first thing is, is through the ministries of the church. You can go to pbcc.cc. You can look on the ministries at the top and then about three-quarters of the way down on that menu, it says Volunteer. And that'll take you to a list of different ministry areas. You can email the, the staff person that's there. But there's also a thing in the middle of the page that talks about our classifieds. And there are some classifieds already printed out at the um, information kiosk. But you can just go there and look. And there's like a whole classified section of opportunities to serve within the context of the church and with ministries and serving opportunities outside. You may be able to connect with underprivileged kids in public schools. You may be able to connect with rec centers that need snacks and food. You may be able to connect with Discovery Land right here in our ministries. 
Maybe student ministries. Maybe you want to be a part of the worship arts team. There are different things and different things that you can do and roles you can serve in to get connected. Go to our church website, and we've got some opportunities for you to do that. But beyond organized, there's also things that are natural. Learn to serve in your home, at work, and at everywhere. Another great grammarian. The point is this. It doesn't matter where you are, serve. Be at Publix, serve. Be at Outback, serve. Be at the gym, serve. Find a way to live outside your, yourself in your everyday living. It doesn't just have to be here at PBCC. In fact, you'll find your opportunity to influence your life for Christ more outside than inside. Find a way to serve. If there's one main thing I want you to walk away with today, it's this. Just jump in. Just jump in. Just like the Incredible Hulk. You got to get in. You got to get strapped on. No matter what's holding you back, it's amazing to think the feeling you'll have at the end of that roller coaster. I've got a video I want you to see as we're coming to a close here. And I want you to See if you can identify with this, um, with this person at all as it relates in the context of wanting to serve and wanting to get engaged and wanting to do something different and the results that happen because of it. So if you would, just watch this video. See, when it comes to serving, you probably feel like she did. Man, I got a lot of questions. What's going to happen? How's it going to turn out? What, 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 what can I expect? Is it going to be like this? Oh, no, I can't do it. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, oh. I, let me put, whoa, oh, let me back up. And then when she got going, you just heard in her voice and she got excited. She got all the way into the end and she celebrated and she's like, ah, oh, that was nothing. It was amazing. Woohoo! 
when you jump in to serve, it's just like that. You've got fear. You've got apprehension. I don't know what's going to happen. I've never done this before. How's it going to turn out? And then as soon as you jump in, as soon as you make it happen, you realize, what have I been waiting my whole life for? Why haven't I done this before now? You see, too many of us, too many of us receive a gift and we never, ever open it. It just remains in a nice, pretty box and the world doesn't get to see it. The illustration I used at the very beginning with the $20 bill, I set it up here. Didn't know what was going to happen. Didn't know if anybody was going to come get it or not. The point of the mess, the point of the $20 bill was this. You got to get off your duff to do something. That could have sat there the whole time, but because nobody got up, nobody would have gotten the blessing. But Warren, Dr. Ray started to, but he saw it in the first service, so he realized. But Warren got up, walked down in front of all of you, not really caring what anybody thinks, came up, got it, went and sat back down. He got the blessing because he jumped in, just like she experienced the joy of the jump because she went for it. When it comes to serving, just jump in. Would you pray with me as we close out our time this morning, as we ask God to help us? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you this morning to jump in feet first into the deep water of that relationship that God desires for you. To jump in and give him all your hopes, all your dreams, and all that you desire to be able to say, yes, God, I follow you. You see, God loved you so very much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Put on a cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose again three days later. That if you believe on him, that he died for your sins, if you believe on him, that he rose again on the third day, if you believe in him, you can be saved. Because it's the belief of your heart and the confession of your mouth that you'll live for him. And if you're here today and you've never made that jump, I encourage you to start there, to jump in your faith with him. Maybe you're here and you want to do that this morning. I would encourage you just quietly, silently where you are. It's not the magic of the words, but the intent of the heart. Just to pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I have fallen short. I admit that I'm a sinner. But God, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. God, come into my life. Take control of my life. God, help me to live for you. Help me to follow you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God heard you and has invited you to come and be a part of his family. For the rest of us, maybe we're here today and we understand Paul's challenge and admonition to just jump in, to use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given us to be able to live beyond ourselves and to serve others. Take some time right now just to ask God to reveal what that may be for you, what that may look like in your everyday living, what that may look like here as a part of the ministries at PBCC. Ask God to show you where you can connect to serve and to live beyond 
yourself. Heavenly Father, God, in these moments, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and minds. God, I pray that you would show us what it is you would have us to learn about your gifting and your call on our lives to serve others. God, I pray that you would use us so that others might come to know you, that we might be a blessing to those that we come in contact with. God, help us to serve. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.